Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. We are jumping back into part two of our conversation with Derek Swick from AmericanEagle.com and Yoav Kuttner from Oro Commerce around B2B marketplaces. The second thing is the sales enablement or that includes the CRM in it. And like we said, it's providing the seller with the right tools to interact with their customers and actually manage that relationship. And that's like we said, the quote to order, but that can be any kind of customer support or customer service interaction that they need, order updates. It could be that the process in B2B doesn't start necessarily with adding to cart, right? As we think of in the B2C. In B2B, it might start from requesting samples. It might start from uh, designing a solution, right? So before I'm ready to buy, I need to, to have a full interaction before I'm actually uh, adding to some shopping cart or checking out or, or facilitating a payment. It's about this building this relationship and this can be a multi-tier. We have uh, business to government uh, uh, marketplaces where, um, where the army can actually create orders on this platform, but way before they start the order, they have to open it up for bidding. So that's another kind of process that we have to support on this B2B marketplace because they find the, the items that they have to um, to purchase, but then it goes into a workflow of bidding, right? And multiple bidders have to actually bid on this um, uh, contract before it actually gets awarded to anybody. So that's another thing that we have to support and having this kind of uh, very flexible workflow engine that allows us to create these very custom uh, user experiences, and it can be a user experience for the customer can, or the buyer, it could be a user experience for the seller. But those have to be very uniquely um, configured for every role in the system. So again, if we look at B2C, we look at a one size fit all. We're trying to kind of cater to everybody that comes to the website in the most efficient way, easy in, easy out uh, manner. In B2B, that's not the case. We might have to have a different workflow, a different user experience per the role of the, the user that's actually interacting. It can be the buyer, the seller. It can be a different user within the buyer or a different user within the seller. And they have to have a unique experience using the system. So again, a workflow engine approach rather than customizing, deep customizing every process in the mm -hmm. system, but having the ability to configure this and load the right user experience and the right workflow per the the user that's using it. That's a, the second biggest uh, key that we have to support in this platforms. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you hit on a very important point there that we haven't really talked about is just B2G, right? With business to government and how there are different realities of how business is done with government entities. Overall, the workflows is really where, I mean, Derek, in, in your experience in, in architecting solutions, I feel that that's where I've seen so much of the need really come in is the different relationships, the different types of sellers, the sellers who might only have one or two people who are coming in and purchasing, and then the others who are larger organizations, they have different divisions, they have different price lists, they have different needs of what certain people are allowed to purchase or not purchase. I mean, how often are you seeing the need of these workflows to come into play versus that deep customization that you have know, mentioned? So. Funny, funny story. Um, well, first off, I, I do want to comment on, uh, I think I heard in there that Oro Pay might be coming or something along those lines. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. We're working on that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I thought I would keep that to the announcement. Okay. Spoiler alert. Um, that, that's that's awesome. No, that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a big gorilla that's doing that as well on the B2C side, as we all know. Um, we're also partners with. Uh, that said, uh, when you know you mentioned something earlier that that really struck a nerve, and that was you guys are like building blocks, right? That's what the platform is, and and that's critical because 
Um, we need, as an agency, an implementer, building blocks to solve problems. We, we um, don't need a very rigid application that we've got to bend and then break to fit requirements. So every customer that we get uh, that comes to us, every potential customer as well, is asking us to do something very unique always, right? No, no businesses are running the same. No marketplaces are running the same. Uh, they share common challenges, but um, the nuances are all unique, right? They're snowflakes. So uh, the building box is critical, and we're moving in a world towards uh, clicks, not code, right? And there's a there's a buzzword for everybody. Um, you know, heavy development is is something that's required at times, but in many cases, business wants to manage a lot of the logistics and operations, and having a workflow tool often solves for that, right? Where you are clicking, configuring, and um, using a non-developer type uh, application to execute on on the requirements. Yeah, and the B2B space and just the intricacies of each industry and each organization within that industry has always been one that I feel, and, and you mentioned it earlier too, everyone thinks it, it needs to be simple for what's delivered on the front end for the process of going in and ordering, but the complexity of that back end of all the systems working together of all the inventory systems pricing systems the e-commerce systems that's where the heavy lifting comes in and that's the reality of it isn't something that you can just flip a switch and turn on overnight like a shopify site or a, a, a woocommerce site on wordpress where you can just dump some products in and, and do that you have to think through those workflows those integrations that are there and i think that's one of the key things that we've seen uh, you know, in the many years of working together, Derek, um, I'm not quite the baker's dozen yet. I'm one behind you. I'm a, a pure dozen. But uh, with that, it is looking at the true customer journey that goes through and understanding that and really delivering for that. And there's some who are going to want to be communicated in one way versus another way, different channels. In the B2B space, how do we look at the different types of integrations i think of crm right now i just there's so much centered around bringing that crm to play or cdp is really the new buzzword that a lot of people are dealing with how do those play into the uh marketplace and the b2b side of commerce well, yeah i'll let you have speak more to this but a key what why i got excited about uh aura when i first learned about it many years ago and, and tracked and traced them until uh you know we got involved as a partner was that they were building it from the perspective of a B2B business merchant up, right? That, that CRM centricity was a key, key pillar, a foundational component. And everything else evolves around that because in the B2B world, as we've, we've I think, exhausted, is it's a traditionally a high-touch, uh, relationship-heavy uh, type of relationship for, for buying and selling. And to replicate that, CRM becomes paramount or business when you move digitally, and then everything else around it is more just the orchestration of those points of friction, right? Getting my pricing, getting my quote, getting my whatever, getting my <laughs> getting paid. Uh, you know, that's where the platform needs to come in and, aut and automate, and that's where that that's the mentality that Oro took with building up the platform. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so we actually created the CRM before we created the commerce piece, right? Um, and, and again, I, I pointed it out earlier that this is probably one of the biggest differentiators when it comes to B2C platforms and B2B platforms. Because again, in a B2C platform, we're very focused on the consumer, on the front end, the user experience on the front end, very little on who's actually working on the back end of the system. 
Uh, and that's for a good reason. I mean, you, you the type of people that they're logging in are, uh, you know, definitely people that are managing the website rather than actually uh, interacting with uh, the customers. But when it comes to B2B, this is, again, it's a relationship, right? That we're not talking about uh, one time. We're not talking about faceless customers. We're talking about a relationship. And one of the key pushbacks that we got from uh, companies for not going digital or if they if we were pushing them to go digital pushback they were giving us was that the sales team would be very afraid that first we may be coming to replace them and second they're going to lose the, the personal touch that they have with their customers so we really wanted to touch on um, creating the user experience for the sellers where they can actually be more efficient they can actually interact with their customers better get a better view in one place where they're actually doing work so not making them sign into another system, CRM, just to update the pipeline so the sales managers can get uh, a view of the pipeline and then build projections, but actually really use it, right? And have the transaction, be able to set pricing, be able to uh, see the data about their customers, update the data about the customers. Maybe they their customer had interaction or a bad interaction with the order delivery or with the customer service. The, the sales reps can see that now while they're talking to the customer. They can actually enable the customer to do uh, stuff on their behalf to uh, have them more efficient by using the website. So that's key for a B2B platform. And that's from the B2B e-commerce to the B2B marketplace, really having two sides of the equation, the buyers and the sellers interacting in the system and actually having them work in a single system. That can be done through integrations, but what we've seen is that these integrations usually are um, clunky. They might have issues. Uh, you still might have customers, uh, oh, sorry, sales reps logging into multiple systems to update. And any hurdle that we put in front of them will just help them push this away and um, and not have the B2B platform play. Uh, the second one was, uh, or the first one I touched was uh, that we're coming to replace them. But again, once we start building the right features that they need, they see that we're not replacing them. We're really enabling them. And that's another key to yeah. get them uh, signed on board. Um, and with with all that, like um, I really think that you know, in 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 B two B, we have a great saying, and I'm just going to go back to the the workflow and why it's very key to have the right user experience. We have a saying that the bigger B wins, right? Uh, and what what do we mean by that? It means that if your buyer is a big company, you really want them to interact with a seller that might be much much smaller. The big company will di dictate how they want to have this relationship working, right? So just imagine. Fortune 500 uh, company needs to buy from a mom and pop store. That relationship won't work, right? I mean, it's very hard for this mom and pop store to actually work uh, with this kind of big companies and all their processes and et cetera. By us creating features where we can have, for example, the workflow and custom tailor the user experience for different users of the big B and have the big B determine how they need to interact with the system without going in deeply customizing for every use case, but having this workflow kind of approach will enable them to be able to use the digital platform. And on the other side, have a mom and pop store that actually just has to be plugged into that workflow and actually facilitate some of the transactions that are happening in that workflow. So we are enabling these big, huge bees and micro bees to actually interact and use the system in the way that they need to. Otherwise, again, they will not be able to use that. And that's true for, again, both sides of the equation. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a interesting point there about the big bees and little bees. And I love the the phrasing around it that you use. Um, I, I would say on the, the big bee side, uh, some of the exciting and 
somewhat challenging projects have also been where we have had to deal with multi-warehousing and multi-org structure within organizations when we build out solutions. And so how, how is some of that being addressed today? I know a lot of times in the past when it was more that custom development, we really just kind of wrote custom warehouse inventory management and, and, and connected to the right pieces. But what does that look like today or what does that look like in the future to you guys? How is that going to be solved as we start to look at just the shift that I would even say the pandemic has caused for a lot of organizations? I look at uh, Best Buy, for example, is starting to convert a lot of their store space into distribution hubs. And Amazon has been building up multiple distribution hubs and how they're handling multi-warehouse aspects. How does another B2B organization that's not at the size of those companies deal with this? Yeah, and, and I think, again, that's one of the biggest added values that these marketplaces bring. And what we are seeing is that sometimes these marketplaces don't start from somebody having an idea, I'm going to bring multiple buyers and multiple sellers. Some of them come from the fulfillment or logistics part of it, right? And they already figured you, the problem you just talked, and they do it maybe anyway, if they're a distributor, for example, right? So they might already have the warehouse network all over the States or Europe or the world even. And by them already doing that, that, that's the part they're doing, but adding the front end part to it, right? Where they're allowing the sellers and buyers to interact on top of what they're already doing. That's just the missing piece. If you want to think about it, that's almost the easier piece of this equation, right? Because they already figured out the logistics, the warehousing and the inventory and all that. And then usually that's an error. It's also easier for us because all we do is integrate sorry, with their existing systems to find the inventory. Uh, we push the orders down the pipeline and you know they um, they know how to work with the logistics. I think the reverse is the harder one, the harder one, right? So we are seeing marketplaces that are starting to be successful and are being pulled into becoming logistic companies. And even in the B2C uh, space, Shopify, right? That's their play right now. They're trying to compete with Amazon and become you know, it's what we used to say in Magento. We were the biggest distributed marketplace, right, uh, for B2C. And, and I think Shopify has this crown today, right? They have the most uh, sellers and the most buyers. And what they're trying to figure out right now is the logistics. But guess what? That's the hard part, right? How to do the logistics, how to enable uh, these um, sellers to, to be competitive when it comes to fulfillment and logistics. So definitely that's the, the one thing that I see is easier sometimes maybe for a distributor or, um, or a logistics company to uh, add the marketplace or commerce part to it. And we've done it very successfully with both distributors and logistic companies um, and it works perfectly. But when, when we look the other way, it's, you know, it's almost out of our realm. It's, because there is a lot of physical things that has to happen and a lot of physical relationship and stuff like that. So again, the, the best way we've seen is that uh, either it's an, an existing uh, infrastructure or what we're seeing is partnering, right? So we see uh, that the marketplace partner with logistics partners or warehousing companies to start building this kind of infrastructure. Uh, but that said, like you said, even uh, Best Buy, even uh, behemoths like Amazon are still figuring it out, right? Because it keeps evolving. And it keeps, you know, the expectations, especially in the B2C, is that I order and I get it in a few minutes. Guess what? It's coming into B2B as well, right? I mean, we're, we already have implementations where we have to commit to the delivery date, right? They need to know when they get the parts and or when they get the products that they uh, acquired. So we have to integrate deeper with logistics companies and get these data for them before they put an order in which was unheard of in B2B before I think you would uh, put an order and and then three months later you would start asking for updates, you know, and, uh, and maybe you would get them, maybe you would get some vague uh, date. But today again, digital is the way we live. Everything we 
as buyers or et cetera, that we do in our private lives, we're expecting today in our business lives as well. So we're seeing a growing demand for that. And that's definitely one of the biggest hurdles because it's not, a, I've, I've had the experience in the logistics um, world and it's, I, I honestly say it's much more complex than e-commerce. Uh, that's why I'm in e-commerce today. Uh, but that's something we're seeing evolving a lot on every aspect, even B2C and B2B. So I think it's both sides of this, it's evolving today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Derek, I think you maybe had a, a couple additional comments. Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, for all the B2B opportunities that we hear from, we all most often said is, well, we're the best at making sure our product is delivered to our client site within days, if not hours. Like that's their value, that high touch. We're going to get that product to your door. We're going to make sure of it because it's a it's a different sales process, right? Than a consumer, which is small package and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's their value prop. They've they've got that back office logistics fulfillment figured out. What they missed is the front end component to help power and drive all that. So that's that's the glue is is the platform at that point. Yeah, yeah. And and again, if you if you think about traditional B two B, the shipping responsibility uh, usually lies on the buyer. Mm-hmm. which is again completely opposite from where the b2c is today right yeah so uh, you know there's there's the shipping terms and uh, fob and and docs and whatnot so it does it's a whole different process in b2b right so and i think it's evolving i think today it is evolving it's uh, something that we really bring with us to the business life everything we're expecting in our uh, personal life right and mm-hmm. having having being able to track the order not only from shipping point but from a manufacturing point is another big demand we're seeing in B2B because, you know, these, it's usually, um, you know, it's almost like a house of cards that you build slowly. Right. And if one, like if I have an order that was uh, that I got from my end customer, I'll call it right. And I have to go procure other things. And, you know, this is a, almost like a recursive problem, right? Because they have to procure, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the, the whole fulfillment uh, chain is, you know, if one card breaks or falls, the whole thing crumbles, right? So getting this visibility on when I can expect my product is a multi-tier problem, right? How do we uh, integrate and access this data from all the the supply chain, right? right? And get sure that we get giving a right date. So again, it's a very different problem than in the B2C. That said, I, I do think that COVID did expose the how fragile the the whole uh, fulfillment part mm-hmm. of the business is and the supply chain. I think much more even than the digital. But again, yeah. not my not yeah. my field of uh, <laughs> business right now. But really going to see a lot of uh, progress in this, I think, because we really saw during this pandemic how companies that were didn't figure out uh, disaster recovery for their supply chain uh, suffered. Mm-hmm. So again, something that we're definitely going to see some movement in. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of as we start to look to wrap up our, our show today, uh, just from a past show, we talked a lot with uh, one of our other partners, 3Kit, about just augmented reality. And I'm just curious, and you mentioned this just a little a little bit ago, the personal experience into the business buying experience. And I think that's where augmented reality, again, a lot of times we see the technologies and innovation start in the B2C space, and then eventually it will come over into the B2B space as appropriate. But to me, a lot of discussions have centered around the opportunity for an HVAC uh, company to have their uh, equipment set up with an augmented reality so I can walk up with my phone or my tablet quickly see the unit and I can explode it out into the parts and I can order a part 
What's your guys' thoughts on how that may come into play with these marketplaces, the opportunity for having that type of just interaction, that uh, immersive interaction and immersive experience as part of the B2B marketplace space? Or is that just one of those future items that, you know, we're probably going to get there, but it's not a reality in the near term? So I'll start by saying that I think we first have to uh, cross the hurdle of getting good product imagery before we do augmented reality. <laughs> uh, some of these industries, you know, we, we launch website and sometimes I log in uh, uh, just to check them out and I see image placeholders for old products and I, mm -hmm. you know, contact our project manager or our partner and ask them what's going on. I think they forgot to upload the product imagery. And they say, uh, well, no, they don't have any they product don't imagery. Have yep. <laughs> so, so I, I, again, I think we are uh, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. That said, it's coming. Mm -hmm. There is no way that it's not going to come and join the the requirements uh, that we're going to see in the B2B and definitely in marketplaces. Again, if I can uh, sit at home and uh, or in my office, my home office, as we are in most people today, and uh, really see the machine that I'm uh, going to buy, right? And how it will plug into what I'm building or how does the material look or uh, kind of measure it and, and work with it. It's definitely coming. We're seeing industries that already do that, right? So I think there are some industries that are much uh, more technology oriented than do this these things. And there's others that are so behind, right? But that said, again, I don't think it'll be for everybody. We have customers that are customers that sell nuts and bolts. I don't think you'll have an augmented reality for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like when we ask him, well, do you want to upload pictures? He's like, you know, all, all screws look the same, you know? Like, <laughs> that yeah. was the answer we got. Or yep. I, we had a customer way back uh, uh, for a long time that sells uh, uh, round uh, saws, right? And we asked, what about imagery? And they said, you know, most of them look the same. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah the you experience. Know, so, you know, it depends on the industry. But that's it. When you're building complex things, when you uh kind of kidding or configuring definitely it will come to play i think it's just a matter of time before we'll start seeing more and more of that yeah we've got some lower hurdles to jump before we get to ar for schematics i mean schematics are just difficult um in and of itself mm -hmm. uh, and then the shopping experience typically changes as well i mean how do you how do you sell a bolt you know there's a lot yeah. of uh, great companies out there that are um, have a, an experience way different than you'd see on amazon right it's mm -hmm. you're buying by attributes by almost taking the catalog, the print catalog, and putting it in a digital format that is digestible, right? Yeah. Um, so you're, you're selling on data. And, mm -hmm. and I think the weakest part of the industry in a, in a, in a whole is around good data. You know, most mm -hmm. companies have a SKU, a price, some inventory. And it's hard to sell that if, if the person doesn't know the SKU. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well. Yoav, Derek, thank you so much for being on Lessons for Tomorrow today with me, talking about B2B marketplaces, B2B commerce. Very exciting times. A, a little uh, spoiler uh, announcement earlier on. So, Yoav, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that at the very end of the show here, and uh, then we can send everyone off. Well, so, yeah, the the two big announcements. Uh, so we, we've been doing marketplaces for a long time, uh, but we are uh, officially uh, going to uh, start uh, socializing or marketing uh, our or marketplace solution, um, and that's uh, out, and you can learn about it on our website, orring.com. Uh, our second one is we're working, I'm not ready to give it the name or name it yet, but we are definitely working on the payment side of it and really revolutionizing how 
uh, B2B payments are handled um, and reducing risks, like I said, and making commerce move faster. So those are the two big initiatives we're working on. Um, a lot of other stuff, so just visit our website, oring.com, or contact me directly, uh, yoav at oring.com for any questions. Really, thank you so much for having me and letting me rant about uh, B2B and, uh, and B2B marketplaces. It was a real joy for me. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm sure we'll have you on as a, a guest again in the future, just as we continue tracking the movement that's happening in this B2B space. Special thanks again to Derek and Yoav for joining us today on the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, a conversation gathering insights from the past to apply in the present for success in the future. Special thanks to executive producers Maria Klaji and Julia Roser. Be sure to subscribe today to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios.